Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons on Paul's letter to the Philippians today, and the text for the sermon is Philippians 3, the verses 20 and 21. And there the Apostle Paul writes these words, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. This ends the reading of the holy and inspired word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, many people today enjoy what we call dual citizenship. That means they are citizens of two countries. And as such, they are entitled to the same protections, benefits, and rights of all other citizens. They're also subject to the same laws and expectations. Believers in Christ also have dual citizenship. They are citizens of the country of their birth, but they are also citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And this is precisely what the Apostle Paul teaches in the words of our text today in Philippians 3 and verse 20. Beginning in verse 8, Paul has been emphasizing the need for Christ-likeness. He declares that he counted all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus his Lord. He goes on to say that he suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish that he might gain Christ. And to be found in him, not having his own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And he goes on to say that all of this with this view in mind, that he might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. So for the Apostle Paul, Christ was everything, and becoming more and more like him was his all-consuming passion and desire. In fact, he writes in verses 13 and 14, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is this prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? Well, it is becoming more and more like Christ. Following that, Paul in verse 17 holds himself and others like him as examples to follow. He writes, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. So it's like Paul was saying, do you want to know what it looks like to follow Christ? Then follow me and follow others who are like me. Do what we do. Live the way we live. Say what we say. Believe what we believe. Now, Conversely, as he goes on to say in verse 18, 
He says, avoid those who do not act this way. Such people, he says, are the enemies of the cross of Christ, and they must be avoided at all costs. And the reason is because their end is destruction, their God is their belly, their glory is in their shame, and they set their mind on earthly things. Well, having said all this, by way of contrast, Paul goes on to make this statement in our text, for our citizenship is in heaven. The false teachers of Paul's day set their mind on earthly things. Their citizenship was here on earth. But Paul says the believer does not do this. Rather than being earthly minded, the believer is heavenly minded. He is not a citizen of this earth, but rather a citizen of heaven. And it's to that thought that we turn our attention with the Lord's help today. So my theme is our heavenly citizenship. And we'll consider, first of all, the privileges it affords. Secondly, the way it is acquired. And thirdly, the fulfillment it guarantees. The Apostle Paul in our text speaks of citizenship. He writes, our citizenship is in heaven. Now the Philippians to whom he was writing were well acquainted with the concept of citizenship, as was the Apostle Paul himself. Remember, Philippi was a Roman colony. So the people who lived there were very Roman. They dressed like Romans. They observed Roman laws and customs. They copied Roman art and architecture. And most importantly, they enjoyed Roman citizenship. And they were very proud of this. Now, why were they proud of their Roman citizenship? Well, it's because Roman citizenship offered many benefits. If you possessed full Roman citizenship, as the Philippians did, and you were not a woman, you could vote in elections, you could own property, you could get married legally, you could have your children inherit property and run for public office. You also had the right of immunity from certain taxes. You had the right to sue in the courts, the right to a fair trial, the right to appeal, and the right not to be tortured or whipped or to be executed by crucifixion. For that reason, Roman citizenship was one of the most prized possessions in the ancient world. But Paul here reminds the Philippians that they had another citizenship, one that is far greater than Roman citizenship. They had a citizenship in heaven. Now, like Roman citizenship, this citizenship includes many benefits as well. For example, citizens of the kingdom of heaven have an inheritance that will endure forever. The Apostle Peter speaks of that in 1 Peter 1, the verses 3 and 4. Peter writes there, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So Paul here speaks of an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, and an inheritance, moreover, that is reserved in heaven for all believers. Well, what is this inheritance? Simply, 
it is heaven and all of its joys and delights, including perfect bliss, perfect joy, perfect peace, perfect love, perfect communion, perfect fulfillment forever and ever and ever. But secondly, citizens of the kingdom of heaven have the saints and angels and Christ as their companions to all eternity. In Hebrews 12, verses 22 to 24, we read these words. But you have come to the Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. And in Revelation 7, verses 9 to 17, John says that he saw a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Well, when you read these verses, imagine for a moment what it will be like to spend an eternity with the saints of the more distant and recent past, to spend eternity with people like Adam and Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, the prophets, the apostles, with the reformers, Martin Luther, John Calvin, with some of the great theologians of the church, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, J.C. Ryle, Charles Spurgeon, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and the countless numbers whose names are unknown to us. And think of what it will be like to spend eternity with the angels, Gabriel and Michael and the seraphim and the cherubim. And think especially what it will be like to spend an eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ himself in his exalted, glorified state, arrayed in all of his glory. It will be absolutely wonderful. The third privilege of being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven is that such citizens have an eternal dwelling place. The Lord Jesus speaks of this in John 14, verses 2 and 3. And there Jesus says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So Jesus here speaks of mansions. Now when we think of a mansion, we usually think of a large stately house with many beautiful rooms, beautifully decorated rooms. But that's not the meaning of the word here. When Jesus speaks of mansions, he's referring to dwelling places. He's saying that in heaven, the dwelling place of God, there are dwelling places for each and every one of his children. And what these dwelling places consist of and what they look like, we do not know. But we may rest assured that they will be wonderful and they will be exactly suited to our needs. And you'll notice that there's a sense in which believers enjoy these privileges right now. Paul here uses the present tense in our text. Our citizenship is in heaven. Not will be, but is even now. now to be sure, as believers, we have not yet taken possession full possession of all of these privileges, but they have been granted to us by God. 
So it's as if they are ours even now. And so you see that being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven involves great privileges. When we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we have the best inheritance, we have the best companions, and we have the best dwelling place. But perhaps you are asking yourself the question, well, how is that citizenship to be obtained? How can I become a citizen of heaven? Well, that brings us to our second point. In Roman times, one could become a Roman citizen by birth. For example, if you were born to Roman parents. It could also be conferred on you by the governing authorities, usually as a reward for some great achievement or some great service to the state. Or you could purchase Roman citizenship with a large sum of money. But that is not how one becomes a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. In order to become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you and I must be born again. John chapter 3, Jesus said, except you are born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. So not only can you not become a citizen of that kingdom, you cannot even enter it. Now to be born again means to receive a new nature. The nature with which we are born is evil and corrupt. The Bible says we are all conceived and born in sin, and as such, we hate God and our neighbor. In order to become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, we need a new nature. We need a nature that loves God and our neighbor. But from where can we get that new nature? Well, we cannot produce it ourselves. Just as a leopard cannot change his spots, so a man cannot give himself a new nature. Only God, through the Holy Spirit, can do that. And he does that mainly through the preaching of the gospel. As the gospel is preached, And as it is applied to the heart by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God effects a change within us. Now that change is wonderfully described in the Canons of Dort, chapter 3-4, in Articles 11 and 12. And there it says this, When God accomplishes His good pleasure in the elect, or works in them true conversion, He not only causes the gospel to be externally preached to them, and powerfully illuminates their mind by His Holy Spirit, that they may rightly understand and discern the things of the Spirit of God, but by the efficacy of the same regenerating Spirit pervades the inmost recesses of the man. He opens the closed and softens the hardened heart and circumcises that which was uncircumcised, infuses new qualities into the will, which though heretofore dead, he quickens. From being evil, disobedient, and refractory, he renders it good, obedient, and pliable, actuates and strengthens it, that like a good tree, it may bring forth the fruits of good actions. And then in Article 12, we have this statement, and this is the regeneration so highly celebrated in Scripture and denominated a new creation, a resurrection from the dead, a making alive, which God works in us without our aid. It is evidently a supernatural work, most powerful and at the same time most delightful, astonishing, mysterious and ineffable. Not inferior in efficacy to creation or the resurrection from the dead, as the scripture inspired by the author of this work declares. In other words, in regeneration, God makes us who were heretofore spiritually dead, he makes us spiritually alive. 
He opens our deaf ears so that we may hear the call of the gospel and he actuates our dead wills so that we may respond to the call of the gospel, creating within us a new nature, one that loves God and our neighbor and desires to live for him and for his glory. But that is not all that God does. And that is not all that is required to become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Not only must we be born again, we must also be converted. In other words, we must turn from sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this too is the work of the Spirit of God. After working in us a new nature, the Holy Spirit shows us our sin. He shows us that we have fallen short of the glory of God and therefore deserve His eternal wrath and condemnation. And then He shows us that there is a Savior for sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ who by his perfect sacrifice on the cross assuaged the wrath of God on account of our sins, and who by his perfect life earned for us the righteousness that we need in order to stand before God and live to all eternity. Following that, he works faith in our hearts, such that we come to repent of our sins and to trust in Christ and his atoning work as the only hope and ground of our salvation. And at that moment, God justifies us. He declares us not guilty. The penalty for our sins is paid. We are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and when we die, we may enter into heaven and live before God to all eternity. The point is, dear friends, we do not become citizens of the kingdom of heaven by birth. We don't become citizens of the kingdom of heaven simply because our parents were citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Nor can we pay for it like Roman citizenship. Nor can we earn it in any way. Nor is it automatic. A change must take place in our heart and in our life. You and I must be born again. Well, what about you? Have you been born again? It's not necessary for us to pinpoint the date and the circumstances of our regeneration or conversion. Now, some people can do that. And we rejoice with them. They can tell you in exact detail where they were and what they heard and how they responded to that. But most of us who are brought up under the truth in the context of the covenant of grace simply cannot. In such cases, the Holy Spirit works gradually and imperceptibly like he did in Timothy, for example. The point is not whether you know when you were changed. The point is that you were changed because that is absolutely vital in order to become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. So I ask you today, in all seriousness, have you been so changed? Now you say, well, how can I tell? Well, ask yourself, are you living like a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? If you're a citizen of the kingdom, then you will live like a citizen. Are you doing that? Do you hate sin? Are you actively putting it to death in your life? Do you love righteousness? Do you hunger and thirst for it and pursue it with all of your might? Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and his atoning work on the cross as the only hope and ground of your salvation? Are you living your life in accordance with the commandments of God and to the glory of God? Are you living as a pilgrim and a stranger on the earth? 
Are you longing for and expecting and eagerly awaiting the redemption of your body in the life to come? Well, my friend, if these things are true of you, even if it's only to some extent, then you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. But if these things are not true of you, then I must tell you, you are still in your sins. So which is true for you? If your citizenship is not in heaven, then I urge you today to repent and to believe the gospel before it is too late. For the Lord Jesus Christ is still willing to receive you and all sinners unto himself and to bestow on you and all sinners the gift of this heavenly citizenship. And so I urge you, come to him today. The promise of the word of God is you shall be saved. So becoming a citizen of a country involves a long, complicated process. You have to fill out an application. You have to have lived in the country for a certain period of time. You have to be able to speak the language. You have to write a test demonstrating your knowledge of the country's history and values and customs. And finally, you have to pay a fee. But becoming a citizen of the kingdom of heaven is not like that at all. It's not complicated. It's simply a matter of repenting of sin and embracing the Lord Jesus Christ and living for him and for his glory. Now to be sure, left to ourselves, this is impossible. And we will never do it. By nature, we will never repent or believe. The only way we will do this is by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. But here's the good news. For the Bible says that he is able and also willing to do this for us. And so let us go to him. For there is no greater blessing or privilege than to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. So this citizen... This citizenship, however, will never be fulfilled in this life. For that, we must wait for the Lord's return. That brings us to our third and final point. One day, the citizenship that has been granted to us as believers will be fulfilled. Listen again to our text. Paul writes, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Now Paul here teaches us a very important principle, that as believers in Christ, our orientation should not be on this life, but rather on the life to come. We should not be living for this world, for the pleasures of this world, for the things of this world, or for the esteem of this world. Nor should we become too entangled in the affairs of this world. Our focus, our energy, must be on the world to come, on heaven. And we need to be reminded of that. It's so easy to fall into the trap of thinking that this life is all that there is. After all, we are surrounded on every side by so much. Whatever we need or whatever we could possibly desire is readily available to us. And what is more, we are under constant pressure to buy more and more and more. 
Before you know it, you can be spending all of your time and all of your energy pursuing after the world and the things of the world, even though they won't last. And even though they cannot meet our deepest spiritual need. But if our citizenship is in heaven, we will not do that. Our focus, our orientation, will not be on this world or the things of this world, but rather on the world to come. It will be focused on heaven. Why on heaven? Well, Paul tells us. Because it is from heaven that Christ will come. And this is what the believer longs for most of all. This is why he prays with the church of every age and place, come quickly, Lord Jesus. He prays this because he longs to see the Lord Jesus Christ coming down from heaven in all of his exalted glory and power. And why does he long for that? Well, Paul tells us. Because when the Lord Jesus comes, he will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. You notice that Paul here refers to our bodies as lowly. By means of that word, Paul is acknowledging that our bodies are not what they are, what they were created to be. They are subject to sickness and disease and death. They're also incapable of serving God perfectly. They constantly sin and rebel against him. But Paul says when Christ comes, then these lowly bodies of ours will be transformed. They will become like the glorious body of Christ. Now what that means exactly, we do not know. For example, will our resurrected body look the same as it does now? What about babies and children? What kind of body will they have? Will they look like babies still and children in the life to come? Also, will our bodies be able to appear and disappear at will as Jesus' body was after his resurrection? Would we too be able to ascend into the sky? Well, we cannot answer these questions, but one thing we do know, our bodies will be utterly incapable of sinning. And in that respect, our glorified bodies will be far superior to the body of Adam. Adam was created to be able to sin or not to sin. But when our Lord comes again, our bodies will not be able to sin ever again. Instead, we will live to glorify and praise him forever and ever. Now, how can that be? How can Christ transform these bodies of ours, which one day will turn to dust and conform them to his glorious body? We don't know. But what we do know is what Paul writes in our text, that Christ is able to subdue all things to himself. His point is that if Christ is able to do that, if he is able to calm the wind and the waves and to cast out demons and to turn the hearts of kings, then he is able to do anything point is, child of God, that when our Lord comes again, our heavenly citizenship will be fulfilled once and for all. And then there will be no more sin. There will be no more imperfection. No more lack of zeal and love and commitment. For our body will be conformed to his body and we will live and reign with him forever. And so let our prayer constantly be, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come and reveal thyself to us and to the world. Come and establish your rightful reign upon the earth. Come and make us true and living citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Amen. 
We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.